0: Welcome to FarmPod. I'm your host, Nathan Tinker. This is the second part of my recent conversation with recovery advocate Dr. Honor Hernandez. September is National Recovery Month, which is one of the reasons we invited Dr. Hernandez both to FarmPod and to provide the keynote address at the CPA 2022 annual conference. If you're interested in hearing more from Dr. Hernandez, as well as learning about our range of great pharmacy continuing education topics like gene therapy, ophthalmic treatments, etc., join us at the CPA Annual Conference on September 22nd. Visit the CPA Annual Conference website at ctpharmacyconference.org for more information. And now here's the rest of my conversation with Dr. Hernandez. Taking a little bit of a switch uh, on topics for a minute here. Um, you know, our, our our audience is largely pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, people who work in the pharmacy community. And um, because of their access to drugs, controlled substances, um, it is unfortunately not unusual for pharmacists and other healthcare providers to get caught in the addiction recovery cycle. Um, in your experience, are there Actions, resources, etc., that healthcare professionals, particularly, can look to for help or to support their friends and coll- colleagues who might be caught up in that that cycle.
1: Yes, and, and thanks once again for for this additional, very important question. I think that part of the context for all of us to understand is that the pharmaceutical companies um, who produce opioids did a number on advertising and continue to do a number to advertise. We're one of, you know, a couple of developed nations still where it's still legal for pharmaceutical companies to advertise their products directly into our home. You and I can remember old enough that when you were young, you got sick, your parents, guardian took you to the doctor, the doctor diagnosed you, gave you some medication, your parents got it at the pharmacy, and that's that. Right now on TV, they tell you what the illness is, what the medication is, what to tell your doctor, what the symptoms are. And I know a lot of doctors who told me, Haned, they're they're taking my job away, which is to diagnose people and treat them, right? So that's a part of the context. And the Sackler family developed the model for advertising opioids into our communities. We also developed the model for convincing doctors that these medications were not addictive. From 1999 up until today, over a million people have died of opioid overdoses in the country. In 2021, last year, 101,000 died in a 12 month period. That is wow. the largest number in a 12 month period, right? Um, not yesterday, but the day before yesterday, August 31st, was Opioid Overdose Awareness Day. Right? So we had activities all over the country. There were activities in Connecticut, in New England, here in Massachusetts, that sort of thing. Now, what did that produce? It produced overprescribing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People who are in their 50s and 60s who use substances, 40s, late 40s, that sort of thing, when, you inter- when we interview them, how did you begin to use drugs? They will say gateway drugs such as marijuana, tobacco, alcohol. Oh, then I graduated to something else then something else. And then I ended up doing heroin or cocaine, snorting, and then I injected that sort of thing. When we interview the younger generation now who has substance use disorders, they will say a doctor prescribed because I had a broken bone or I was feeling pain, right? And we change all sorts of policies around pain and prescribing and all of that stuff in the country. And they will also say, I got it from a family member, right? Who had it in the medicine cabinet, all of that stuff, right? We are now aware of that. The policy changes that have been that have taken place after we declared a public health emergency in 2017, October of 2017, have included educating doctors mandatory around what addiction is. You could go through medical school and not ever take a course on addiction. Imagine that, right? Yeah. Um, we now have it as mandatory. My understanding is that pharmaceutical staff are also being trained in this realm, um, all of that. And those are all good developments. Um, Having said that, I think that there are opportunities for all of us, including folks who work in pharmacies as well as doctors, to do a deeper dive into what addiction looks like, what substance use disorders are like, what is recovery, And how can we promote recovery? Um, And I am not just talking about one pathway of recovery. Right now, across the country, in most conferences and meetings, we have sort of this um, golden bullet that's going to resolve it all. It used to be back in the day that it was abstinence for everybody. All you need to do is stop. Don't ever use a drug again. You're going to be fine.
0: Just fine. say no.
1: Yeah, just say no. You know, one of those policies of the of the uh, 1980s and 90s. Um, right now, that magic bullet is medication-assisted treatment for everybody. Now I supervise a team. You heard me say that, and we provide medication-assisted treatment. However. This is what we also know based on research data um, that there are 23 million people in the US who identify as being in recovery, living in the solution and not all of them did it through medication. So what we need to understand is that there's such a thing as the multiple pathways of recovery. Mm. 12 step, there's formal treatment. And by the way, let me just stop at treatment for a moment. Of all people who need help, Only 25% need treatment, which means that 75% get better without treatment. 12-step is not treatment. That's N-A-A-A-G-A, all of those things that have two letters in them. There's also holistic approaches in recovery. Yoga, meditation, acupuncture, exercise in recovery, smart recovery, rational recovery, refuge recovery. The list goes on and on and on and on and on about the multiple pathways, faith-based and recovery, right? And so the takeaway should be for all of us is that there's multiple pathways. We should not impose on anyone, any one pathway. What we should be about is providing options in front of people mm-hmm. so that they can select what works best for them. And if it didn't work, at the very least, they notice and learn that that didn't work, they can select something different. Right now we're hell bent on telling people what to do. And that hasn't worked historically. It's not gonna work now. And for pharmacists, for people who work in healthcare, for people who work in treatment, for the huge explosion of peer recovery workers that are in Connecticut in the emergency departments through the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery that I do some work with as well, and through other spaces and places, we need to be aware of the multiple pathways and we need to work hard to put those pathways in front of people and to support people and a pathway includes harm reduction because people get bent out of shape when we say harm reduction because they think we're condoning drug use right. again dead people don't recover and there are people who are not willing to stop and i want them to never get infected with HIV or hepatitis C. I want them to never die of an opioid overdose. So I will embrace Narcan. I will embrace harm reduction. I will embrace whatever it takes to keep people healthy until the point in time that they move from pre-contemplation to contemplation, to preparation, mm. to action, and then to maintenance. That is my role, right? In terms of the work that I do. But my role is to also speak to truth to power and to organizations and individuals who are trying to figure this out. Because we have many people with very good intentions, they just lack information and training. So I would encourage people to get as much training as possible from different places. At Faces and Voices of Recovery, we do messaging training, we do advocacy around policies at the federal level, we connect and work with people at the state level and at local levels providing information and resources to folks so that they can make better decisions for themselves, their families, and their communities, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it's about.
0: Excellent. Well, that, that kind of brings us then to one of the reasons that we're so excited to have you as our keynote at the the annual conference in a couple of weeks is that September is, is National Recovery Month. And uh, can you talk a bit about what Recovery Month is and what uh, what organizations in front of the pharmacy community can do to support it and to acknowledge it?
1: Yes. Um, so, thank you for the question. Um, huge celebrations and rallies across the country um, in all sorts of communities, that sort of thing. Uh, so, we kicked it off yesterday on the 1st of September. Recovery is for everyone, every individual, every family, every community is the theme moving forward in terms of recovery. And um, Faces and Voices is in the forefront, as well as many other organizations nationally to uh, promoting and supporting all activities that are happening throughout the country, right? And so um, the federal government also uh, supports Recovery Month in many different ways. That's everything from SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, to CDC, to HRSA, other federal agencies, that sort of thing. And um, There are resources that are put out um, from the federal level to organizations that provide capacity building, technical assistance, and the like at many different levels. I happen to work with the Addiction Technology Transfer Center out of Brown University in Rhode Island, where we support all of the New England rallies um, with actual funding so that they can organize what those look like in those specific states and local communities. And I can tell you from having spoken at many of the rallies, including the national rally last year in Texas, uh, because there is always a national rally, and then there are the state rallies, and then there's local stuff. That people from all walks of life show up. There's music. There's activities for kids, for older adults. There's food. Um, there are speakers. Um, there, are, you know, motivational speakers. They're primarily people who are in recovery talking about what is possible. And a huge part of the goal of recovery month and recovery activities is to address issues of stigma and discrimination. Hmm. Because we know that you we can tell people to are blue in the face, 20% of this, 30% of that, 50% of this, that doesn't do anything to move the needle and stigma. The leading researcher on stigma and discrimination in the country is out of uh, Columbia University in New York. And what he has learned and what he teaches people is that what changes people's hearts and minds are personal stories. So Recovery Month is all about sharing personal stories of the people who are in recovery primarily, but also their families and their allies, right? 23 million people, that's 23 million families. Mm -hmm. And if we count the allies, that's a huge movement of people across the country drawing attention to issues of recovery and celebrating the millions of people while remembering that we are nowhere near the end of any of these issues that are taking place because they have been developing for a very long time. Um, I am always um, taken aback when I when I go to recovery rallies because I, I, I get to meet really good people on the ground doing really good work. Um, some states even have recovery rallies behind the wall in prisons and jails. Rhode, Rhode Island does that, right? And so we're trying to bring the message to everybody that recovery is possible, that there are ways of talking about recovery that don't further stigmatize people. And if you've heard my talk here carefully, you notice that I stay away from terms such as addicts. I am not an addict, I'm a person in recovery, I live in the solution. I stay away from pathologizing people, calling people schizophrenics or bipolars or frequent flyers or very negative um, terminology that we use to describe people. We call people homeless, Um, we call people in denial, all of those things. We should use person first language. These are people experiencing homelessness, and there's a difference between calling people homeless and dehumanizing people than to calling, you know, utilizing people first language. So, Recovery Month is about all of that, educating people and um, giving power to the recovery community so that we can continue this movement of encouraging others to join, supporting people in whatever recovery pathway of their choosing.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Hernandez, so much for for taking some time with us today. I, I, this is a lot already to think about, and I uh, uh, can't wait to hear your your keynote at the uh, annual conference on September twenty second. Thank you so much, uh, and we'll see you at uh, at the conference.
1: Looking forward to it. Uh, once again, Nathan, thank you for the invite.
0: Today's Farm Pod is sponsored by Moderna. Moderna is a biotechnology company pioneering messenger RNA therapeutics and vaccines. Moderna's mRNA platform built on continuous advances in basic and applied mRNA science, delivery technology, and manufacturing, and is allowing the development of therapeutics and vaccines for infectious diseases, immuno-oncology, rare diseases, cardiovascular diseases, and autoimmune diseases. To learn more, visit www.modernatx.com. FarmPod is also sponsored by the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy. Prepare for a rewarding career in healthcare with the UConn School of Pharmacy's integrated BS, PharmD, PhD, and dual degree programs. Exceptional faculty, engaging academic exploration, groundbreaking research, and impactful community involvement are all hallmarks of a pharmacy education at UConn. Learn more at pharmacy.uconn.edu.